Good morning. I say good morning because it's good morning for us. Oh, yeah. Well, is it? Well, almost. Oh, 10.59 a.m. It's just about to be early afternoon. That's true. Okay. Well, good morning if you are experiencing this in the good morning. Um, good afternoon if it's good afternoon. Good evening. Good 3 a.m. Good long highway drive. Whatever you're doing right now, I hope it's pleasant for you. <laughs> um, really exciting podcast episode. I am very excited about it because for very infrequently this happens where I don't know a lot about what we're podcasting about. Like typically I, I pick the stories and I'm part of a huge part of the planning part, but this is a delight for me because I don't really know what's going on at all. All I know is that Brittany is joining us on the podcast today and she has such a good story and she knows I'm going to love it. And so she said, like, I just have this great story. I want to share it on the podcast and you're going to love it. And that's all I got. That's genuinely all I got from Brittany. Yeah, this will be great. I'm really excited too. <laughs> so if you don't remember Brittany um, from her numerous guest speaking ships, guest uh, appearances, yes, guest appearances, um, Brittany, go ahead and introduce yourself quickly. So my name is Brittany. I'm an advocate here at the SAFE Project and I'm the Housing and Life Skills Coordinator. Um, I've been in previous episodes. Um, I spoke about being a survivor of domestic violence, and I was on the Game of Thrones episode as well. Um, maybe another one, but I can't remember. Yeah. So if you listen to this episode and you're like, wow, I love Brittany, I want more of Brittany, definitely go check out her two other episodes, especially the survivor story, because it was very impactful, but way less amusing than I assumed this story is going to be. And uplifting? Yeah, right? yeah, like I think upli- it'll be an uplifting one. Okay, all right, well, let's get into it. Okay, so I thought that we could do something a little bit different from the normal, um, you know, categories of survivor stories and case reviews and, you know, stuff in the news. Um, I thought we could talk about somebody who has been an activist oh. in the fight against gender-based violence. Um, And, you know, I think we don't give enough attention to these great people enough. Doing the work. Yeah, down in the trenches. I love it. Yeah, okay, let's hear it. So this particular activist, his name is Joel Davis, and he's got a lot going on. So he was a youth ambassador for the United States on sexual violence and conflict. And by conflict, we mean conflict areas that um, experience war either on a large scale or a smaller scale um he is a co-founding executive director of youth to end sexual violence and that was in 2014 he was a contributing writer with the huffington post where he wrote about gender-based violence um particularly um of uh sexual violence against children in conflict areas um, he allegedly was nominated for a Nobel Peace Prize Whoa. when he was only 19. How is that true? I don't know. How do you get nominated for a Nobel Peace Prize at 19? You have to be pretty amazing. I feel very sad about myself in this moment. Yeah, I know. You're an underachiever. <laughs> I know. I have been nominated. Guess, well, I guess we can, we can let everybody guess. Guess how many Nobel Prizes I've been nominated for. Zero. I've been nominated oh, really? for zero oh. Nobel Prizes. Okay, I was expecting more than that. You know, apparently, Ooh, apparently you can just say that you've been nominated and nobody may know if it's true or not because they don't actually reveal the nominees. 
Oh. For like 50 years. Well, I want to go back. Guess how many Nobel Peace Prize I've been nominated <laughs> for. Just guess. Uh, 10. 10. I was going to say 10. Are you? Okay, so you knew. Yeah, I've I been think nominated for 10 Nobel Peace Prizes, but it's okay, Joel. Like, you'll get there. Yeah. He was he's 19. Working up to I'm going to be 26. Yeah. And so he's got a few years. By the time he turns 26, he will be nominated for Yeah. At least five. I mean, he's a little... Yeah, he's a little behind you. Okay, well, that's so, fine, Joel. That's fine. Um, but he's working towards it. So he is a student at the Columbia University, and he was a um, speaker on the Columbia TEDx oh. um, talk, which we'll look at in a moment. And I his, love TED Talks. Yeah, yeah, TED Talks are great. Um, and his work has focused primarily on ending sexual violence of children, particularly in conflict and war-torn areas of the world. So I thought that we would let Joel speak a little bit for himself yeah, on sounds, how he got into this line of work. Sounds dope. Yeah. So I'm just going to play a little bit of this TEDx talk. I was 16 at the height of my impatience. I traveled to D.C. and pretended to be a law student so I could join an international law society and rub elbows with great attorneys. That's how I started learning about human rights and about all the moving parts of the international system. The UN, governments, and NGOs, and how they all work together to address complicated issues. When I turned 17, I started working in sexual violence. My first job was transcribing interviews of rape victims living in the Congo. That first interview changed my life. It was with a nurse who was representing a victim who died in her care, a six-month-old baby girl. And it was one of those moments where you wake up to what isn't in your own world. I just want to... I asked Brittany to pause this recording for just a second because naturally his work surrounds um sexual assault with children and so i want to take this moment i don't i haven't heard this ted talk but i know that it feels like it's about to get intense Mm -hmm. so i'm just gonna throw a trigger warning right in here because if this is if if this is something that um hits close to home for you or a lot of people just do not weirdly i don't i don't know who this would be enjoy talking about sexual assault with children um so i i want to keep listening just for a little bit more so so we're going back to this video, but I want to give everyone a heads up that I don't know what this video is going to say, but prepare yourself for some grossness. That's what I got to say. And what I saw was not just an individual or a family suffering, but an entire community, an entire society that was facing the material threat of armed conflict. So, although that didn't have anything explicit, I think yeah. your your trigger warning is timely because another um, thing that Joel Davis can put on his his resume is that he is a pedophile. What? <laughs> what? Yeah. So I don't. I okay. Okay, give me more. I need more information. So he did that work, I think, between 2014 and 2018. And in 2018, he was arrested and charged with um, 
intent to engage in illegal sexual activity with a minor. Stop. And... Wait, wait, wait. In 20 what? He was... In 2018. Oh, my gosh. And this recently has come up in the news because I think his trial or his sentencing is coming up soon. So just this month, it's been um, on the news feed, for me at least. I don't know about how many other people subscribe specifically for news about sexual violence, but... I have not seen this. Yeah. It's, I only found a couple that were the recent, like, in uh, January of 2020. Most of it dates back to 2018 when he was first arrested. And when I first saw the headline, I was like, okay, well, maybe he, like, he looked in the picture, he looked like a really young guy. Maybe it was, like, a 17-year-old, and it was, you know, maybe, like, a mix, like, a gray area type situation. Mm-hmm. Um, but I was, as I was reading more into it, it definitely is not gray. Well, when you say gray, like, I I totally get what you're saying, because if you, I, I've seen so many TV shows about this, where you're, like, a senior in high school, and mm-hmm. you're 18, and you start dating, you know, a 16-year-old, mm-hmm. that feels a little bit different. Yeah. That feels a little bit different than what you normally think of when you think about sexual assault against children. Right. Or minors. So it's like, I, when you're saying he looked young, I'm like, okay, please let us excuse this away with, like, he what he went off to college and still dated his junior in high school partner yeah that's what I was hoping because you know it did seem like he was doing some good work yeah and was inspiring other youth to be a part of the solution absolutely absolutely not only like is this what I'm studying and this is what I'm interested in it's I'm engaging Mm -hmm. vulnerable populations with this work so studying it but also community organizing Mm -hmm. and working directly with impacted populations. Yeah. So I, when you say you hoped that's what it was, I am too. How, how, oh geez, Britt, how bad was it? It was pretty bad. So he has admitted to having sexual experiences with, um, well, he had, he had child pornography of children under the age of 12. So that's just a hint. Mm-hmm. And the, um, the boy that he was looking to engage, you know, sexually engage with was a 15 year old. Mm. Um, he also admitted, um, to meeting a 13 year old boy on the dating app grinder um, so that's just, that's the tip of the iceberg. However. I hate that you just used our name in context with this trash person. <laughs> so Sorry. thanks for doing that. But it's true. I thought I was it being punny. I mean, you were, but it really hurt my feelings. Well, I'm sorry. <laughs> Jeez, how does this guy, so how does a person be so engaged in the work and be studying it with high profile individuals and be a youth ambassador and sit across from somebody who has directly been touched by this violence and then turn around, go home and look for children on Grinder. How does that exist within the same... I don't know. I mean, I think that either, I think that in some way 
he was either justifying his actions, like, for his conscience, you know, like, he was giving back, so it was, you know, like, balancing out, maybe? I don't know. I'm I'm just trying to delve deep here. Yeah. Um, or it was uh, tactful, and it was, like, a cover, you know, or mm. a way to get closer to potential... victims or kind of like you know like um serial killers they like tokens Mm -hmm. to relive their experiences Mm -hmm. like they take a a necklace or a driver's license or Mm -hmm. yeah i mean i'm just imagining this guy getting some kind of pleasure from listening to the experiences oh Oh, so you feel that that his interviews and his studying is all part of that need to to perpetuate it. Maybe. These are all these are these are just We're theories. we're speculating. We're speculating. We are we are both social workers. We are both fascinated by mental health yeah. and so we might dive a little more deeply into this than we need to, but those those make sense to me. And then they're like on the other side of that though, part of me wonders and I've seen this happen with people too, if they're <laughs> I wish we knew this. Maybe you know this, so maybe you can speak more to this, but some people, I think, have inclinations to do bad acts, like maybe sexualized children. Maybe they have a sexualized attraction to children, but their rational self is like, ooh, that's a code red. I'm not interested in that. And there's like this huge overcorrect where... Mm -hmm. At home at 3 a.m., this is what I'm thinking about. I'm thinking about, you know, the things that I'm not proud of. I'm ashamed of this part of myself, yet it is a part of myself. So I'm going to do all the work during the daylight hours to counteract that. Yeah, and so that's kind of... So I think that that can go two ways. I think that, you know, you could have those inclinations and not act on them and overcorrect in, you know, a positive way. Right. And then you could be like... The other way, which is still do those things and then feel like it's balancing that out by also contributing towards, you know, helping survivors. So he breaks even is what we're saying. Yeah, he may have raped a few kids. Maybe in his mind. But he did do a TED Talk. Yeah. (laughs) So we're all good. Yeah. Yep. Totally, totally even Steven. So do you want to hear more about how this went down? Really do. I am morbidly fascinated by this. Okay. So it all came about because of an FBI undercover operation. So apparently there are FBI agents that hang out online and like pervy, according to the, according to the text in the Washington Post, um, chat rooms, and they post stuff hoping to entice people like Joel Davis to respond. And then they hope to get them to do things that they could then arrest them for. So um, they posted on a a message on a fetish website um, where people leave ads soliciting children for sex. Um, And this is all from a Washington Post uh, article about it. Um, so the FBI posted something saying, looking for other no limits, taboo pervs in DC area. What? Buy dad here. And then a person. Wait, wait, wait. Go back. Say okay. that part again. Buy dad here. So I think he meant bisexual. 
Oh, I'm dad. a dad. And yeah. Then bye. I was like, what does that mean? Okay. Keep so this going. was, that was the FBI, what the FBI agent posted. Okay. So this was kind of phishing. Yeah. Okay. So then the agent got a response from somebody with the screen name Young Perv 22. Mm. That was my first email address. <laughs> I mean, it was Young Perv 21, but I mean, whatever. I can, uh, I can see that. Yep. So this uh, person responded saying, need me to come down and watch your kids for a night? Oh, 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 that made my <laughs> stomach turn. I, yeah. Oh, there's more. Oh no, Brett. So, um, the owner of that screen name was tracked down and it was Joel Davis. Surprise. Joel. Right. Yeah. Um, he exchanged phone numbers and began texting the undercover FBI agent. Davis then told the agent that he is into children. Are you ready for this? No. Okay, go ahead. Ages zero and up. Livy's face right now is like so stunned and... <laughs> yeah. I don't know how I can be laughing at this. I'm laughing mostly at Livy's reaction right now. I don't even know what to say to that. Yeah. And remember, remember, he was just talking about on that TEDx talk, <sighs> hearing this nurse talk about this infant. Oh, I can't. That was sexually abused and this died in making her care. me physically sick. Like, my stomach is turning. Yeah. Oh, it's pretty bad. Brittany. Joel, what are. Yeah. Okay, keep going. Keep going. So he told the FBI agent that he had previously. I can't even move on from that. Zero and up. Yeah. Is he just trying to, like, okay, 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 I'm making this make sense in my head. Do you remember, podcast listeners, when we did that Tinder episode or whatever, when we're like, we're trying to make sense of this. You got to try and make sense of the danger. So maybe, maybe Joel got in over his head with a bad group of friends. Okay. <laughs> this is helping me. I, I already peer pressure. I already feel better. <laughs> I'm already feeling better. Okay. So Joel got in with a bad group of friends and they are all into children sexually. And then he's like, I don't have any other friends. I need to like up my game in order to hang. So he's like, what do, what do they, what, what'll make me look really like bad? Like I got to hang with this group. This doesn't, I'm losing it. It's, it's you know, gone. You know what actually makes more it's sense gone. to me? What if he's undercover? <gasps> oh, that fixed it. No, then he wouldn't have been arrested. Yeah. And he also admitted. <laughs> we better just move forward there's no way we can make this make sense you know if you're listening to this and you come up with a really good way to rationalize this and make me not have nightmares please send it to me <laughs> keep going Brittany. oh my gosh i've traumatized Livy. <laughs> keep going oh my gosh so he told the undercover fbi agent that he had previously had sexual relations with I'm just pausing for... Effect? Because you're trying I'm, to hurt me? No, I'm just... I don't want to say it because you're already traumatized. It's okay. Just go. I'm strong. <sighs> a nine-month-old boy 
a six-year-old girl and a seven-year-old boy. And he sent the agent an array of disturbing photos um, showing other adults sexually abusing naked children as young as infants. So when they talked about him possessing child pornography of children under the ages of 12, they meant, like, infants and toddlers. Yep. Not the the 16-year-old, you know, sophomore versus senior dating partner in high school. No, definitely not at all what I was hoping. I mean, I wasn't hoping for any of this. Trying to make it feel, you know, less gross. Yeah. But for a moment, can you imagine if your job was to be that FBI agent and receive those text messages? I know. Wait, so he was charged with distribution too, right? I believe so. He had to be if he sent them to the FBI agent. So I can read you what the Department of Justice website um, said. I... They didn't say exactly, it doesn't say exactly what he was charged with, but it says that what he admitted to. Okay. So, um, he admitted to arranging to meet a 15 year old boy for sex and engaged in illegal sexual activity with the 15 year old. He also possessed child pornography that included children under, oh, I guess I may have already read this, but, um. No, we need to say it again for effect. That included children under the age of 12. Davis rightly faces a lengthy prison sentence for victimizing children. Um, and I think the sent, I mean, he admitted to this, so I can't imagine that he's pleading not guilty, maybe by reason of insanity, because this sounds insane to me, to me. <laughs> um, Ooh. but I mean, it sounds like he didn't fight it too hard. There was a lot of like, yeah, he admitted stuff. Yeah. Which you, we don't see a lot in cases of, uh, child sexual abuse. Well, but a lot, I mean, but all of this is like through digital stuff. So mm-hmm. they have a lot. They have all the evidence. Yeah. And they found all these pictures. He had a stash of, of pornography on his phone. Oh my gosh. So for anyone who isn't, hasn't spent a disgusting amount of time in child sexual assault work, <laughs> to be fair, um, it is so hard to prove. It is so hard at mm-hmm. all. So you would just assume because it's so horrific that most people would be like, oh, yeah, done, jail, boom, mm-hmm. right? But that is not the case at all. Because in reality, if a child comes forward and said, like, this happened, and, you know, I was sexually assaulted by my uncle, my neighbor, the babysitter, whatever that might be, it's their word, this child, 7-year-old, 10-year-old, 8-year-old, zero plus gosh sorry did that sing a little Uh Uh it's their word against this full-grown adult Mm -hmm. who has a whole life and very frequently in these cases it's it's like oh wow that kid has a pretty good imagination or he must have seen that on tv or she must have seen that on tv or or this can't be real it's too horrific right and so there's so much there's so little you can do yeah right And even, so even if the child is believed, which happens sometimes, which is great, you know? Yeah, usually with some kind of physical evidence. Right. So even if the child is believed, like they have symptoms of maybe uh, trauma or maybe they have weird behaviors that 
are in alignment with child sexual abuse and a parent or a guardian is like, oh, wait, this is different. All of a sudden you're regressing in your behavior. You're really clingy. You're having nightmares. You're wetting the bed when you didn't before. You know, all of these are symptomatic of of abuse somehow or trauma. Um, then you would think, well, what do you do then, right? In In our work, the idea is let's see if we can collect any evidence, right? And so then if you go into a forensic exam with a child, it is so hard to gather any evidence twofold, probably Mm -hmm. 500 fold, but two things come to mind. First off, likely it takes a second for this child to report, right? If they even can talk. If they are of an age to speak, right? Yeah. So it takes a second if they can speak, if they are, you know, of that age and they have that ability to communicate what happened a lot of times there's an extensive amount of grooming and we've talked about this before. And so it takes a second for a kid to be like, okay, I'm ready to talk about this because there's a lot of work, a lot of threats, a lot of scare tactic that really lay the work to make it make this kid not want to talk. So eventually if they do summon the strength somehow to tell someone they trust, it might be a few weeks later. It might be a few Mm -hmm. months later. It might be years later. And by that point, any evidence would be long gone, right? You know, yeah. And then at that point, it just makes more sense that somehow a child knows what sex is Mm -hmm. (laughs) than for it to be what the child is actually saying happened. Yeah, absolutely. And so, okay, so that's on one side of it. The other side is you have this assault. It took place say it's really graphic, it's really, it's really violent, it's whatever, um, and the child reports immediately, which our numbers are going way down, because that is not usually what sexual assault with children looks like. In the time frame, in the way it happens, statistically, that's just not usually what it looks like. So it's cut and dry, this was sexual assault, and within an hour, this kid reports to somebody trusted. They rush him to the hospital. They have police there and they do a forensic exam. And it's so hard to find evidence. It is so hard to find evidence. Even if you do a complete forensic exam, things heal quickly. Mm-hmm. Especially young, especially if you're the younger you are, the, the faster you heal. Mm-hmm. And a lot of the evidence that you might find can be explained away mm-hmm. as a diaper rash. Yeah. Or um, an infection of some sort. Or a really big poop. Or a really big poop. Yep. Yeah. So the fact that there's so much evidence here is alarming to me. Yeah. Right? And I'm grateful that there was so much documentation digitally. Yeah. But what else has happened <laughs> That there that wasn't documented or yeah. wasn't reported or I got so off on a tangent there. I apologize. Jeez, did I derail you, Britt? Well, no, I mean it's it's a good conversation to have because it is pretty rare and I think that this is how they're nailing a lot of these uh, perpetrators these yeah. days is through the electronic stuff. Yeah, thank heavens for Snapchat. Yeah, and these 
poor undercover FBI agents yeah, who have to go into these chat rooms and exchange messages. I mean, I think that I would be grateful at least that it's not face to face and you're having to like pretend with your face facial expressions and whatnot. Yeah. You could you could have that disgusted look on your face and still be typing, typing away. away. Mm-hmm. But um yeah, that would be hard and and I've heard that, you know, there's a lot of burnout from doing this kind of undercover work and you know there's there's people um agents, you know, their job is literally to look through pornography for children to try to catch that stuff. So, I just want to give a shout out to those uh law enforcement professionals that do that kind of work because yeah. They're doing a real good thing. Yeah, I can't even imagine. I think I only a handful of times, maybe more than a handful, but not regularly by any means have I seen stuff from the clients that we work with. Like mm-hmm. every once in a while we'll see, we'll respond to the hospital and they're, you know, in disarray or we'll see pictures of something that happened or we'll be in court and we'll see um, evidence Mm-hmm. within the courtroom but that is definitely not our everyday and I no. noticed for myself that that's the hard stuff for me yeah yeah that when you see it mm-hmm. firsthand that is really difficult yeah and we just see the after effects mm-hmm. sometimes mm-hmm. so yeah these these people that are doing this are really getting down into it wow um yeah and also just like getting an idea of like what humans are capable of to their, I mean, like this, you know, the next part of this is, um, I think it hit home for me because Joel Davis asked this agent undercover, of course, um, to take nude pictures and videos of his nine-year-old daughter and, um, to send to him. And so like, the thought that like, you know, this, that there's potentially fathers, mm-hmm. parents out there mm-hmm. that are doing this to their children and like having to get into like the mindset mm-hmm. and like pretending to be that person. Yeah. That's uh, a lot for me to take in. Yeah, absolutely. And it's like theoretically, you know, you know that people like that exist. It's another thing to, you know know that it actually happens to see it so closely yeah yeah absolutely so that's um that's pretty much it i mean joel davis that's all that's all that's all joel did so it's it's fine i mean he was pretty bad it's like it's it's both the things i mean the things that he did to these children are horrific Mm mm-hmm I mean, I can't imagine, like, you wouldn't, as a, if something like this happened to you as a baby, mm-hmm. you wouldn't even, I just, you, I'm, I'm like, I don't, I don't even, mm-hmm. you don't even know what's happening. You're not, con- like, Oof. you're not even, like, conscious as a baby, right? That's yeah. just, I don't even, I don't want to think about it anymore. I don't, no, no I don't, yeah. sure don't. Thank you, thank you for um, that. Well, but now we can't move on just yet, because a lot of, a lot of, there's a if you were trying like I always do to rationalize it and make it seem less horrific you're like okay well at least they might not remember right like that like it's terrible but you know hopefully they will just block that out and they won't remember it and they won't have to deal with it but (laughs) 
you know, that is so untrue right. that that happens because statistically, like if you, let's move this into trauma of any other kind. So if you are in a domestic violence uh, family where that's happening and there's three kids and there's one that's 10, there's one that's five and there's one that's 18 months, right? Right. And so parents are experiencing domestic violence and kids are witnessing this. Who would you expect to be impacted most by that trauma? The one that's been dealing with it the longest over time, right? The one that starts when they're a baby. Yeah. So the 10 year old, right? Did I say 10? 10. I said 10, 5. Yeah. Because I assume that like, you know, if you if the 10 year old grew up with it you know, from being an mm-hmm. infant, then they've been exposed to it. Like, that's literally all they've known. Yeah, yeah. Well, and you would expect, too, that they have a better understanding. They can understand it more. Whereas a younger kid might just be like, mm-hmm. I don't know what's going on. It's scary. But a 10-year-old might be like, wow, I know that one of my parents is hurting the other parent. And I don't know my role in that, right? There's a lot of conceptualization mm-hmm. going on, right? Well, statistically... If you were just to take that snapshot, that snapshot of the 18-month-year-old, the 5-year-old, and the 10-year-old, statistically, the 18-month-year-old would have the most psychological harm from that domestic violence relationship, from witnessing that trauma. And that's because when you're a kid, your brain, like, how many times have you heard the phrase, kids are like sponges, they soak everything up, right? Mm-hmm. And the younger you are... Yeah. You just soak all of that in. So the baby that might not even be in the room as this thing happening, but laying in the crib, hearing and Mm -hmm. feeling the energy will have the most adverse effects because they soak all of that up. And so when you think about a child who's experienced sexual abuse, the younger they are, they soak all of that in and it becomes part of their identity. Wow. We are really bumming people out. Yeah, and I totally meant this to be, you know, a upbeat. No, you did not, <laughs> Brittany. You did a nice, like, hook and switch on us. That was a cruel joke you yeah. played. Oh, my gosh. Yep, <sighs> I played a trick on you guys. Who is this Joel? Ugh. He's just a really great activist. I'm, He's done some good I, work. Oh, Brittany. <laughs> We have talked about a lot of perpetrators. We have talked yeah. a lot about a lot of perpetrators on this podcast. And I think Joel, he is in the Hall of Fame for me. Is it? Is it the stuff that he did, like perpetrated? I don't or think so. It's the double life. I think that's what it is. Yeah. I think that he has disguised himself as this perfect activist this good guy i'm using air quotes you can't see them this good guy this person that understands gender-based violence and that wants to help and doesn't tolerate it and he is the person that you trust and you Mm -hmm. lean on and he was nominated for just one nobel peace prize according to him by the way (laughs) i want to emphasize that this may be him just like blowing up his own ego okay well whatever whatever not that you would do anything like that yourself for your, for, you know, the 10 Nobel Prizes that you've been nominated for. How <laughs> dare you align me with Joel? How dare you? That's, so, that's the part that really gets me, is that he has built himself into this, into this yeah. 
And that, I think that disgusts me. Well, and it makes it, it's like, it's kind of like, okay, I'm going to make a comparison, but it's only a metaphor. I don't actually think that this is the same as terrorism, but in a way it kind of is because like terrorism makes you afraid of things in a situation that's uncontrollable. Mm. Right. Mm, Yeah, absolutely. And if we are like, whoa, activists and gender-based violence can be horrible perpetrators themselves. How do we go through life trusting anyone? Anyone. If the very people that are there Mm -hmm. to help you be safe and understood and feel okay are the, are the people that take away your safety and make you feel not okay. So it's like he he did some damage to the cause. Maybe that's another reason that I'm mad about this because maybe that I guess that's this hits home closely to me because I work super hard mm-hmm. for okay for my ten Nobel Peace Prize nominations. <laughs> I work super hard to make this world safer mm-hmm. and to be someone that is safe, and I cannot imagine. That in itself is a very humbling position to be in. An advocate. Mm -hmm. People, yeah, you have to be responsible Mm -hmm. with that trust that people kind of inherently give you. Yeah. And I can't imagine taking that role, that trust, that power that's given to me as an advocate and using that to hurt people. That just is despicable to me. Yeah. I'm very upset. This has ebbed and flowed for me, and I'm ending upset. I think that's probably an appropriate way to end this. I would like to formally not invite you back on the podcast, because you've really, you've really hurt me. Well, maybe next time I'll do the opposite bait and switch. Where they start as bad and then are good? How does that happen? I don't know. I'll figure it out. You know me, I'm resourceful and creative. So Brittany is going to spend the next several weeks researching mm-hmm. how to turn a perpetrator into a good person. Ooh, ooh, that's a good, that's a good idea. I would love that. If you guys do have ideas of like, because I would love a heartwarming story about how a perpetrator turned things around a redemption story. a redemption story oh, like batter intervention batter intervention or maybe somebody who like went to prison and is like doing really good things in prison and is like an activist now to that does speak oh. out against gender-based violence um or maybe maybe one of those you know people who have inclinations yeah. who don't act on it right and are like open about talking and having dialogue about it and about fighting against it. Oh, I'm very into this idea. This is good. Yes, please help us out because I feel like this is going to be hard to find. (laughs) But maybe that's just because of me. (laughs) Maybe that's just my opinion. It is hard to find, but I think that it's a very valuable thing to do is to showcase people like that because I think they are hard to find, but I think they do exist. I agree with you. I agree. Yes, okay. Everyone do a Google search. Brittany will Google search harder. And between all of us, 
we can figure this out. Yep. Because I would love to, I would love to spend some time talking about that because I think that is so powerful. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I hope that we didn't destroy your day because I'll be honest with you. My day is destroyed (laughs) because of this story. It was terrible, but I hope that there's that you eat some chocolate or you do something else or you find somebody that's not like Joel that's doing actually good work and you can kind of ground yourself in that. And if at any point you find yourself in need of an advocate, whether it's to process this story, which I will be using, I'm going to find myself an advocate to talk about how I'm feeling right now. Um, But if that's you or if you would like to process something else or if you need help safety planning or whatever that is, please give us a call. And even if you're not in Wyoming or Laramie, give us a call anyway and we can direct you to your local program that can help more. So our hotline number is 307-745-3556 and give us a call. And please send us some some feel-good stories or like, some kitten videos or whatever because I think today we need it. Yeah. I'm sorry, guys. <laughs> Brittany, you destroyed me. I'm sorry. <laughs> but it's important. It's an important story and it's good. It is good to know about Joel because I never would have known about this idiot if you hadn't enlightened me. And so for that, I thank you. I thank you. And I will I will award you one Nobel Peace Prize nomination. Oh, so now do you still have 10 or did you give me one of yours? You're not taking my Nobel Peace Prize nominations. You just get your own now. Okay. Well, I guess I I have another nine to go before I'm at your level. I mean, we can all have something to work on. Yeah, I can only (laughs) hope to be as accomplished as you are. It takes time. It's a heavy weight to bear. All right. Nobel Peace Prizes probably weigh a lot. I don't know about that. That I don't know. Actually, I don't know either. Well, we'll Google that too. (laughs) Have a wonderful rest of your day and we will see you next week. And maybe Brittany will be back. I've had so much fun podcasting with her. Maybe I can trick her into being on the podcast again. (laughs) Could I trick you? Or you could just tell me the truth and I would just be jazzed. (laughs) Oh, thanks Brittany for that story. (laughs) And everyone have a wonderful day. That first interview changed my life. It was with a nurse who was representing a victim who died in her care, a six-month-old baby girl. And it was one of those moments where you wake up to what isn't in your own world. And what I saw was not just an individual or a family suffering, but an entire community, an entire society that was facing the material threat of armed conflict.